This program is made possible by the friends and partners of Unspeakable Joy. And this morning, I'm going to give to you the title of my, my message is a simple sermon. That's all that I've got this morning. I don't have anything big to give you. I don't have anything fancy to give you. I've just got a simple sermon. And I hope that you'll look with me in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 1 Corinthians is a book that was written by the Apostle Paul. He writes it to a church that is in utter and absolute chaos. Their testimony is in chaos. You see, there in chapter number 4, we read about a man that is living with his stepmother. And he's shacked up with this woman, and Paul writes to them, and he says, Have you lost your minds? He said, there's people out in the world that don't even name the name of Christ. They don't even act that way. And you profess to do it being a follower of Jesus Christ. You see, their testimony was in chaos. Then he gets over into chapter number 11 and 12, and he tells them that their worship is in chaos. He said, you've gone down to the Lord's Supper table, and you've made a mockery of the Lord's table. He said, what was meant to be a memorialization of the body and the blood of Christ, you've gone down and turned it into a potluck supper, and everybody's just filling their gut, and nobody's even thinking about what the purpose of it is. He said, your worship is in disarray and in chaos. Then he looks over into chapter number 13 and chapter number 14, and he says, your methodology is in chaos. He said, you've confused everybody on all of the giftings of the Holy Spirit. He said, the people that have got the gift of prophecy, they're speaking with tongues. And the people that are speaking in tongues, there's no interpreter in the house. And it's full of confusion. And he says this. He says, let all things be done decently and in order. He said, you're in chaos. And in order to fix them and to straighten them out and to turn everything around and to bring order where there's chaos and to bring clarity where there's confusion, he says, I want you to know when I came to you, I did not come to straighten you out with enticing words. He said, I didn't come to straighten you out by giving you man's wisdom. How many of you know if you're not confused, listen to a preacher long enough and they'll confuse you? How many of you know you won't be confused about a lot of things, but you get in a lot of churches, and before you know it, you don't know which way's up and which way's down, which way's left and which way's right anymore. You have no idea what's going on. You know why? Because we have made everything difficult that God sent Christ to simplify. In the Old Testament, there were 613 laws that no man could keep. And Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. And not one of these laws is going to be done away with until I fulfill them all. 
You know what that means? You ain't got to do nothing because Jesus has already done it all. But yet some churches you'll go into, by the time you leave, you say, well, I don't even know if I can live up to the standards of what's been laid upon me. You're confused. We've made everything so difficult. You know what Paul said? He said, I've come this morning to give you a simple sermon. He said, a simple sermon from a simple man to simple people. Brothers and sisters, I remind you this morning, I am a simple man. I don't have the the clout. I don't have the education. I don't have all of those things. And that's probably why y'all understand me. Because it does not take many big words and high and lofty ideas for you and I to walk away and have no idea to think what God expects from us. You know why? Because while preachers are busy trying to take drafts up to the heights of trees, Jesus has called us to feed the lambs that are down on the ground. And instead of putting stuff so up high where nobody understands it, why don't we bring it down on a level where everybody's living? Jesus was up on a high at a lofty level, but what did he do when we could not get to God? He left the portals of glory, tiptoed down the stars and the Milky Way, and condescended and got down on our level. So I'm just going to give you a simple sermon this morning. Why do we need simple sermons? Three reasons. Number one, because the gospel is simple. There's nothing difficult to understand about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can I give it to you in a nutshell? Here it is. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Ladies and gentlemen, I remind you the gospel is this. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. He's the Savior, and you can be born again and saved today by the grace of Jesus Christ. There's not a Baptist way, a Methodist way, an Episcopalian way. There is but one way to know God, and that is to know him through the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is not difficult. People make it difficult. Number two, the reason you need a simple sermon, pretty simply put, it's not man's wisdom. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that makes it powerful. You see, people think, if I get up and I give high and lofty words, people think I'm smart. We don't need people to think we're smart. We need people to know God. People think if I get up and I give them my three points in a poem and I give them my sub points and my sub, sub, sub points and I get them all the way down that they'll know something about God. Ladies and gentlemen, I can give you five points. I can give you three points. I can give you one point. It makes no difference what kind of points I give you because the power of the gospel is not in my ability. It's in demonstration as the Holy Spirit of God takes the word that is spoken by man and applies it to the heart of the people that hear what has to say well okay let me hit on that one for just a second I can tell when I find resistance you see you've got this idea that if a man doesn't know everything about you that he can't help you beloved I don't want to know everything about you I look at your Facebook I know enough you see I don't need to know everything about you. I don't need to know anything about you. You know why? Because there's a God that lives at your house and there's a God that lives in your heart that knows everything about you. And what he'll do is he'll take a simple man and he'll speak a word and you'll say, how'd he know that? He don't know me. He don't know my life. He don't know my family. How'd he know that? It's simple. The God that lives by you, the God that lives with you, the God that's walking the steps with you, he sees what you are, what you need, and he knows it all. And the Holy Ghost is who applies the message. Number three, the reason people need simple sermons, and it's pretty simply put, 
you'll find that people have difficult lives. I don't need more difficult stuff in my life. Am I right about it? Either y'all don't live in the world I live in, or you're dependent on the government for everything you got going on. I don't know which one it is, but evidently something ain't going on here. I don't know about you. I don't need somebody coming in my potato patch and telling me all the different things that need to be upfixed and redone and turned around and up. I need somebody to get in my potato patch with me and help me fix it. And tonight and this morning and tomorrow evening, I don't need somebody's words ringing in my ear. I need a God that's lifting up my arms that'll walk the valley of the shadow of death with me and'll go up the mountain and by the river. I need a God that'll go with me, ladies and gentlemen. That's why the gospel is simple. When you could not go to where he was he came to you and when you could not find him he came looking for you that's why the gospel is simple because life is already difficult so this morning if you'll let me I'll give you a simple sermon I got three points to my simple sermon number one the first point to my simple sermon is this it is not I but Christ Look at verse number one of this chapter that I read to you. Paul said this. He said, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom. That word excellency right there, it literally means big words, lofty ideas, elaborate schemes, fantastic philosophies. Paul said, I could have mentioned those things. He said, I could have given you all the different schemes and schematics and isms and schisms that would have helped you. He said, but I didn't bring any of that to you. You know why? Because it's not about Paul. It wasn't anything about Paul. It had nothing to do with Paul. Paul said, I don't want you looking at me. I don't want you paying attention me. I don't want you processing what I am. I want you to see Christ. He said, that's why I didn't come with excellency of speech. How many of you know sometimes you can go into a church and the preacher preaches in a way so that when you walk out, you say, what a guy. If you preach in a way when people walk out and they say, what a guy, you're not preaching right. The way you ought to preach is when people walk out, they ought not say, what a guy. They ought to walk out and say, what a God. And beloved, here's what I'm telling you. Paul said he had all the different things that you could have put into a, a, a chasm. Man, he had the degrees. He had the philosophies. He had the, he had the background. Philippians chapter 3, verse 6 and 7 tell us that Paul was of the stock of Benjamin. He said, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. He said, I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I mean, this guy has got it going on Donkey Kong, son. But not one time did Paul ever tell the Corinthians, look at me. Man, we get up and we hear about Dr. So-and-so and Reverend So-and-so and the high and lofty bishop So-and-so and Pastor So-and-so. And before we know it, we think we've showed up to see old So-and-so. Don't y'all act like y'all ain't been in churches like that. You go in places like that and it's like it's the preacher show or the choir show or the musician show or the deacon show or the camera show or the light show. Ladies and gentlemen, cameras won't help you. Lights won't help you. Preachers won't help you. Choirs can't help you. It's not about man. It's not about people. It's about the one man that came to bring you into relationship with Jesus Christ. It's all about God. It's all about Christ. And you don't need to look at a man. You don't need to process a man. You don't need to be held back by man because it is not I it's Christ how many of you be honest with me this morning let's take a little Tyler survey how many of you lift your hands and say I've been hurt by somebody in my life every one of us I would imagine that would have had a hundred percent participation rate do you know why because we all live in this world with other people 
And sin-cursed people will mess you up. And sadly, you can get into church and get messed up. But you know what Paul said? He said, I didn't come to you with excellency of words. You know why? Because if Paul ever messed up, he didn't want anybody to mess up because he messed up. Ladies and gentlemen, I know people will hurt you. I know situations will hurt you. I know churches can hurt you. I know Christians can hurt you. I know people in the world can hurt you. But it's not about them. It's not about what they can do. It's not about their life. It's not about their philosophy. It's all about Jesus Christ. It's not about a preacher. It's about Christ. That's why we don't come in and ask about my credentials. That's why we don't come in and put somebody else up here. Here's what we've done this morning. We've done everything in our power to lift up the lowly Nazarene. We've done everything in our power to lift up the Galilean. We've done everything in our power to lift up the Son of Man, the Son of Righteousness, the Son of God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Heaven of Heavens, the Grace of Grace, the Mercy of Mercy. We've done everything in our power to lift up Jesus because it's not I. It's Christ. My simple sermon has a second point. Number two, it is not I but Christ. But number two, Christ is is enough. Christ is enough. Notice what it says in verse number 1. He says, I didn't come to you with excellency of speech or of wisdom. He said, I came to you declaring the testimony of God. Testimony. When I think about the word testimony, I think about mine and my wife's Saturday nights watching the ID channel and the latest scandal that's taken place that's gone to a court of law. If you've never spent a Saturday night watching Dateline 2020 or the ID channel, you are not married to a southern woman. (laughs) Son, I'm telling you, if the FBI wants to solve unsolved mysteries, look up a southern woman. Because they watch those shows with intent. Son, I mean taking notes. How did they bury the body? What kind of DNA did they find? What were the chemicals that they could have used to get the skin out from under the fingernails? Oh, don't y'all act like you ain't got a notebook full of 2020 secrets. Man, they always get to that place in the story where they go to court. And they go to court looking for witnesses. They want witnesses. And what is a witness supposed to give? A what? A testimony. And a testimony is not what the witness thinks. I've seen enough of them 2020 episodes. A witness is supposed to give what they saw. And so Paul goes to these Corinthians and he says, I've come to you and all I'm telling you is what I saw. He said, I didn't come to you trying to convince you. Man, they get those, they get those, those witnesses up on the stands and they got the PhDs and they got the MD. You know what a PhD is, don't you? It's a post-hole digger. Say amen right there. They got all these different degrees. And whether a PhD gives it, there's nothing as compelling as an eyewitness. Somebody that was there that saw it with their own eyeballs. Now you look at Paul. Paul said this. He said, I've come to you and I did not come with a fancy sermon. 
I came to tell you what I saw with my own eyeballs. What did Paul see with his own eyeballs? Well, I got a wild imagination. Let me run down a couple little trails right here if you'll let me. You see, back in Philippians 3, Paul told us that he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Acts chapter number uh, 11 and 12 tell us that Paul studied at the feet of Gamaliel. And so Paul would have been stationed in Jerusalem. When Paul was unsaved, Paul lived in Jerusalem. So Paul, trying to figure out what's going on after he gets born again, he's probably got his head all messed up, and he's probably thinking inside of himself, what have I got myself into? I don't know if this is the right way. Did I really see a light on the way to he- uh, coming out of heaven on the way to the road to the mat? Did I really see all that? So Paul said, I got to talk to somebody. I got some, I got to get, somebody's got to help me. So he goes and he, and he knocks on one door, and he knocks on the door of a man whose name is Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee as well, so Paul knew him. And he said, Nicodemus, i got to ask you a question. Would you tell me about the Nazarene? Would you tell me about that man named Jesus? I think I met him, but I'm not 100% sure. Nicodemus, his eyes get to water and filling up with tears. And he looks at Paul, and he says, Paul, I, I wish I could tell you everything that he said. He said, but I can only give you a small record. He said, that day when I heard that he was on the other side of the Mount of Olives, I made my way down the Kidron Valley. I went up over to the Mount of Olives. And I got down on the other side on the city of Bethany. He said, I went into his tent and I asked him, Sir, I know you're a teacher of Israel. I know that you're a rabbi and you've got the words from God. Would you tell me something? Nicodemus said, Jesus looked him in the eye and he said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. That which is born of the water is water and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. He said, when he got done talking to me, he said, my head was a swirling in a thousand directions. Paul said, well, that don't. That don't really help me much. He makes his way down and he goes and he knocks on the door of a lady that lives in Jerusalem. This woman comes to the door. She's dressed like a lady. She comes to the door and she says, may I help you, sir? He says, ma'am, I just got to ask you a question. I heard that you had a run-in one time with the Nazarene. Could you tell me about it? She said, oh boy, did I ever have a run-in with the Nazarene. I used to live in sin and one day I was committing the act of adultery and they came and they ripped me out. They took me. They didn't give me any clothes. They just wrapped me up in a bed sheet and they threw me out on the city street when they were about to stone me with stones. And before I knew it, somebody stood between my my body and between the stones. It was the Nazarene and he rolled in the sand and before I knew it, there were stones falling all around me and with tears in my eyes, I looked up in his face and he said, where are thine accusers? And she said, there are none. And he said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. And I've been walking right and doing right all the days ever since that. Paul said, oh God, oh God, I, I, I don't know. He goes on down and he finds the house. He walks up into the Antonia Fortress and inside the Antonia Fortress, that Roman citadel, he finds a man. He's got bastions on one side, badges on the other side. He's got the honor of being a centurion. And he said, sir, I've got to ask you a question. I heard you had a run-in with the Nazarene. Could you tell me about it? He said, boy, did I ever had a run-in with the Nazarene. He said, my position was to take care of all of the the executions and the crucifixions on top of Golgotha's hill. And there was this one Wednesday afternoon in the Thursday morning. And all of a sudden, at 3 p.m., the sky went black. Had been black from 12 p.m. to 3 p.m. The skies went black. And before I knew it, the man that was on the middle cross, he looked down and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not 
what they do. And then he looked up to heaven and he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And the next thing I knew, he bowed his head and said, Father, into thy hands, I commend my spirit. He prayed and then he died. And all of a sudden, the earth got to shaking and the veil in the temple got rent and every rock ran asunder. And before I knew it, I realized who was before me. It was the son of the living God. He said, I bowed upon my knee and I said, certainly this was a righteous man. Paul said, oh God. His nerves were tore up. His heart was torn out of frame. Before he left though, there was a group of four soldiers and they were over in a corner, quiet. Paul walked up to those soldiers and he said, fellas, can I ask y'all a question? Have you ever had a run-in with Jesus, the Nazarene? And their eyes got as big as half dollars. The blood ran out of their face and they said, one time. He said, would you tell me about it? And they all looked at one another and they turned back to him. They said, well, we were the ones guarding the tomb that night. What happened to him? They looked at him and said, well, you know what happened. The disciples came and stole his body. Paul looked at him and said, no. I was in the conspiracy where the Pharisees told you what to say. I want to know what really happened. Honey, their knees got to quaking. Their hands got to shaking. Their teeth got to chattering. And they looked at Paul and they said, Paul, we don't really know what happened. But all of a sudden, on that third glorious morning, all of a sudden the earth got to quaking and light shined out from inside of that tomb. And that Roman seal, it broke as that stone rolled away. And before I knew it, there were angels coming out of that tomb. There were angels sitting up on top and I didn't know what to do. We went and ran and hid in a bush. But before I knew it, the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley had walked out of that tomb and he's alive. He's alive. I saw him. He's alive. Paul wrote to them and he said this. I just want y'all to know. Everything that I thought about him was all true. Beloved, I don't tell you anything that I do not know beyond a shadow of a doubt. I can't tell you about the isms and I can't tell you about the schisms. I can't tell you about your life and I can't tell you about their life but I can tell you about his life. I can't tell you about where you're at but I can tell you where he's at. I can't tell you what you have to have but I can tell you what he can give you. I can't tell you about what you're going to face tonight but I can tell you about the one that'll face it with you tonight. I don't know what your tomorrow looks like but I know the one that's already in your tomorrow before tomorrow has got you in it. I remind you this morning it may not be me but it's all him. It's about Jesus Christ It's not about a denomination. It's not about a person. It's all about Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's all about Christ. Number three, here's my simple point to my simple sermon. It's not I but Christ. Christ is enough. But number three, you're going to make it. 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 Let's have a little Dr. Phil moment. I want you to repeat after me. I'm going to make it. Say it again. I'm going to make it. Say it again. I'm going to make it. How do I know that? Let me show you what it says in verse number 5. Verse number 5, Paul said this. He said, the reason I didn't talk to you with big, fancy, excellent words 
is that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of man, but it will stand in the power of God. Beloved, if I got up here and I gave you some big fancy lecture and you got a little snippet of that and a little snippet of this and you put it in your heart and then you went and got lunch and you had the warm fuzzies on the inside and you thought, man, I feel good. Everything's great. It's going to be wonderful until Monday comes. And then the reality of what you're dealing with are going to make the warm fuzzies fade. But if it's not my words that tell you you're going to make it, but the God that saved your soul that tells you you're going to make it, your faith doesn't stand in the wisdom of man, but it stands in the power of God. I'm not a contractor, but I'm also not an idiot. I don't have my license, building license. But I can read a book. Thank you. <laughs> Do you know what the most important part of a building is? It's the what? The foundation. You can get the lowest bidder to build the house and you'd be okay probably. But you get Brother John Brown who rented a backhoe to come dig your footings. You, my friend, are going to have trouble when the big bad wolf comes to huff and to puff and blow your house down. Do you know why? Because if the foundation is strong, if the house is properly connected to the foundation, it will survive. Oh, now the roof might get ripped off and the shingles might flap about and the windows might explode. But at the end of the day, you've got something you can rebuild on. You know, I, I don't go to Florida a whole lot. I'd like to go, but I don't go a lot. Do you know what I watch when I watch all them hurricane things when Jim Cantore goes and he shows the, the devastation of a town. Son, I'm talking, it'll blow million dollar houses. It'll blow half a million dollar house. It'll rip the roof off. It'll rip the windows out. But you know what I ain't never seen a hurricane do? I ain't never seen a hurricane uproot a foundation. Now, son, I've seen some big old roofs blown off. I've seen some tiles explode, but I ain't never seen footings be rattled the least bit, no matter how big the storm is. And here's what I'm coming to tell you right now. I didn't tell you you weren't going to face problems as a child of God. I didn't tell you life was going to be peachy and rosy and wonderful. Here's what I did tell you. If you've built your life not upon man's idea, not upon man's philosophy, not upon man's ability, but if you have put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, let the winds blow, let the storms come, let the lightning flash, let the thunder crash, you'll make it. If you're built upon Jesus Christ. Beloved, 
I have got some wonderful people in this church. Sweet, kind. But you know what I got none of in this church? I got nobody in this church that has a perfect life. I got some people that may, think, may make you think on Facebook their life's perfect. But I promise you, churches go on one leg at the time like mine. And if you live in this world at all, you're going to have problems. Man, there are people in this church, people in this congregation. We're here at 9 o'clock. Some are here right now. And I'm talking real storms. I'm talking divorce. I'm talking infidelity. I'm talking disease. I'm talking depression. I'm talking fear. Real problems. I'm talking death. I'm talking separation. I'm talking children that will not come back in the picture. Real problems. But do you know what I know about these people? They're going to make it. They're going to make it. Steve, you're going to make it. Bill, you're going to make it. Aaron, you're going to make it. Kristen, you're going to make it. Brother Tim, we're going to make it. John, we're going to make it. Y'all ain't married yet, but you'll make that too. (laughs) Come help me, Scott. Come help me. I don't know who you are in this room, and I don't know what you battle in this room, but I can promise you right now, if you are built upon Jesus Christ and you're trusting Him with everything you are, let the storms come, let the winds blow, let the adversities pile up against you. You're going to make it. You're going to make it.